0: Amazing, I'm just I'm not going to say just friend, but family. We're family. We've been a part of uh, uh, a group that, that he has called the Cycle Nations. And we've been able as a church and our staff to be able to join the Cycle Nations and partner with them. He'll share a little bit about what that looks like um, here in just a minute. But uh, his his word today on the love of God and hope is uh, my belief is that you are not going to leave this place the same way. Not because of just what he's sharing, but because of what the Lord revealed and so can I pray over you, brother? Yeah, please. Father, let's do it. Father, we thank you for saying it. and We just pray, Father, that you would just, um, God, bring forth your word boldly. God, because, <laughs> and I know that he will. And I know, Father, <laughs> that you have, I believe you've given him this word for this day, today. Today. This time, right here this moment, you've given him. Amen. Amen. Good to be here. I, uh, I know some of you. It's good to see some familiar faces. Before I get into what we're doing and telling a little bit about myself, I just want to mention again the prayer movement. How many of you have been to a citywide prayer meeting? Anybody been to one? Yeah, so this is, uh, we're three years into, uh, I was in Seoul, South Korea, and went to China in 2015 in May, and Lord spoke to my heart, there are global consequences for what we do with prayer in Kansas. And we've been kind of passionate about prayer for years, and um, I uh, came back and just talked with some leaders and some stuff stirred up in the city. I want to invite you all. We're going to meet at uh, Cessna Stadium on August 16th is the next one. Um, out at, uh, at Cessna. We did this last year. We had about 1,500 folks come out and worship and pray, and we're believing that the Lord's going to stir even more of a, a thunderous kind of uh, unity, if you will, as we call out for the revival of the church in the city and the redemption, the redemption of the lost. And so um, I am so glad for Reliance. I love the Wallace boys and Lowry boy and their wives and Everybody here, I love Jacob. It's just awesome. We love you guys. And I love it that they're uh, establishing an equipping base out west here that cares, yes, about the west, but about the city. When I talk with these guys, they care about that. I'm so thankful. Um, we just uh, had 21 city elders gather together last week at World Impact, and we took communion together, and we made declarations of unity together white, black, Hispanic. And uh, north, south, east, west, it was just an awesome thing. Something's going on in our city. It's really a powerful thing. And we appreciate your prayers, and I hope that you'll care about that and pray for that. Um, we're also seeing stuff happen around the state. We've got a picture, I think, from Abilene. Anybody heard of Abilene, uh, Kansas? Yeah? So uh, all around the state, there's prayer stirring up in cities. This is Abilene on Sunday, June uh, 10th, I think it was. Sunday night, there were two to 300 people out. And they prayed and worshipped together in a city park and said it was just an awesome, awesome time together. And uh, they're all in on the prayer movement. Manhattan has had three or four of these, three to four hundred people come out, 20, 30 churches that are gathering together, praying for revival. We're seeing it in Lawrence. We're seeing some stuff stirring Salina. I'm meeting with leaders in McPherson uh, here pretty soon. And so just exciting days in Kansas And we want to see, uh, yeah, some major impact in the earth. So please pray for us as we go forward and as we pray. Um, I got my family here today, um, a chunk of them. If you're akin to me, would you please stand up? Would you please stand up? I've also got a picture. So... I'm glad to have, I've got almost everybody here for Father's Day. My oldest got called out on some other stuff, but uh, that's the wedding last, uh, last summer, and Grace and Kenny got married. It was awesome, and she's our number five. We've got nine children and uh, 14 grandkids, and um, as I said earlier, it's a freak show and out of control. <laughs> so Amy's from Kansas, and I'm from Illinois. I've got one brother um, who's in Iraq right now. He's a medical doctor. And um, God God messed his life up when he was 21. He had the same dream three times where Jesus appeared in the dream and told him, I'm sending you to these nine nations. It would name the nations, and they would light up on a map behind his head. He had that one time, messed him up. Three months later, same dream. Three months later, same dream. It set him on a trajectory of trying to get in. All the nations were in North Africa and the Middle East, Islamic-based places. And we're just two little white boys from Illinois, you know, don't know nothing from nothing. But it marked him, and God put us in the middle of a bunch of team members, lifted us up out of Illinois, put us in Kansas. We have the largest percentage per capita of medical evangelical docs in Wichita than anywhere in the United States. It's a, it's a supernatural thing. It really is. Via Christi, it's a Catholic Catholic kind of system with KU. Got a bunch of evangelical doctors in it. We're thrusting guys into the nations. We're getting ready to send two more team members over with them. But love my brother. Wish he was around here, but it's better to serve Jesus. My dad, um, I feel a little tender on Father's Day. I was talking about earlier, I, um, my daddy... Um, Uh, died seven years ago, March 20th, in Ghana, Africa. He went over there just about to turn 69, had a pacemaker, a little overweight. That's him on the right side there. He went over to shoot the gap in an orphanage called the Father's House that we help plant there. Uh, That's literally three to five minutes before he dies. He's going to walk down to that edge, drop right there. and be thrust straight into the presence of the Lord. Five days in Ghana. He got five days in Ghana. He was going to go two weeks. We got him out, did that funeral. That was the theme of my word. That was a profound funeral, doing that for my daddy. And I preached about all the things he'd done for us. But five days in Ghana was our greatest heritage. Because he showed us people telling him not to go, don't go. He had read the book Radical. Anybody read that book? It's dangerous if you read it. But he's like, I'm going, I'm going. My last my last real encounter with him is him going off the porch, going to catch the plane in just a little bit, and he looks at me and says, if, if, if my mom, your grandma dies, you bury her I'm not coming back because the word says we leave mother, father, and all to go for the sake of Jesus, not knowing that he's the one that would die. His mom, my grandma, was turning 97 this summer, and so got him buried. I'm just so glad for the heritage, so glad, looking forward to the day that I'll see him again at the great resurrection. Um but I, I'm excited to be here today. I, 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 love, I love serving these guys, these leaders, and some leaders in our team that are working in various places and just serving leaders in general. I just love shepherds that have hearts for the saints, just trying to talk about kingdom things with them, to think about and to cast off stuff. We, I mean, we really don't need any more churchianity. You know what I mean? We need a movement of the kingdom of God. I mean, the thing that's going to get Jesus back on planet earth is us infiltrating every nation with the glory of God and the gospel. This is why I do missions. I do missions because I want people in the 1040 window to get saved. I want them rescued from hell, but it's more than that. I want Jesus to get his inheritance. In Psalms 2 verse 8, the father said to him, ask me for the nation's is your inheritance the ends of the earth is your possession and the way we do that is Matthew twenty-four, fourteen. we get the gospel the kingdom to all the nations and then Jesus comes back who wants Jesus to come back you really do want him because this is not normal. It's not normal that people get cancer, that there's human trafficking, that there's raping and pillaging and wars in the nations and political rancor. This is not normal. It's not normal that my back hurt and I sit down during worship. I'm looking forward to my resurrection body. Amen. This is not my body. This is a this is little shell that's holding me for a period of the war in this age. Inside me is a seed of resurrection that's going to break forth. I'm either gonna die and go to sleep for a little bit, and then raise up at a trumpet call, or I'm gonna fly, and I'm holding on for flying. <laughs> My God, I'm praying this last week. Lord, let me be that generation. I mean, what? Well, that's gotta be a thrill ride. You know, just fly up into the sky. And anyway, I like rapture. Amen. <laughs> but I want to uh, share with you this morning. I've got a word, and I was um, again sharing. I, I I'm 51. I've done this a lot. I preached a lot, and um. I I have as little faith in my power to change any human being with preaching than I've ever had in my life. Um, It's the power of the Holy Spirit that transforms human beings. The gospel comes, we respond to the gospel, and it's the Holy Spirit. If anything good's ever happened in your life, it's been by the power of the Holy Spirit. God can use donkeys to speak to Balaams. He can use guys like me to speak and do stuff that can kind of help along the way. But listen, this is a waste of your time for the next 20 minutes or so if the power of the Holy Spirit doesn't touch your heart and life. Here's what I believe. As I prayed for you last night, i was sitting out at 11 o'clock at night. and look at the stars. I'm praying for life at Reliance. I'm going to come out here and hang out with the Westerners. I'm so excited about it. But I felt in my heart the Lord say, I'm going to swing wide the door to many people's hearts. I literally felt it swing open and open the windows to come in and invade people's hearts with the love of God. We need an overwhelming, overwhelming experience of the love of God. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray because I'm going to preach, but I have no faith in the preaching if the anointing is not there. And so I'm going to pray, and I believe right now, I believe right now, if you'll be with me, I know you all got uh, stomachs maybe growling, Father's Day dinner is beckoning you on, but you got the opportunity in this room because of the faithfulness of our God. When two or three gather in his name, there he is with us. The presence of God is in the room right now. I don't even have to preach a sermon to get him ministering. Because listen, God, Yahweh can't help himself but come after you. He's so passionately in love with you and jealous for you to come into your purpose and to be free from the shackles of the enemy. I dare you to try to keep him away from you. You can't keep him away. He's going to come after you when you're pretty, when you're ugly, when you're down, when you're up. He's going to come when you're being right, when you're being in sin. He's coming after you. Does everybody know that? Amen. And if you've not sensed him lately, just look behind you. I love this passage. I was thinking about where we we're during worship that in John, the Gospel of John, it said Jesus prayed, Father, glorify your name. And the Father speaks from heaven and says, I have glorified it and I'll glorify it again. And it says after that that some said it thundered. Jesus heard the articulate love language of his Father. Other people, it was the voice, but it, all they heard was thunder. I think some of us are hearing thunder around us. I think our circumstances are happening around us. Um, All kinds of dynamics are happening around us. And you think it's thunder and you think it's in the way and a storm that's coming. And I think it's the Father God reaching out to you. And we're going to try to help you. I'm going to try to partner with you today to get into agreement with what the Holy Spirit is doing with every person in this room. And I pray the Lord would use this moment for that. Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you. Thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you that the gospel impacted our lives. Anyone in this room not impacted by the... I pray, come with gospel power. And I pray for salvation to break out in this room. Pray for fresh revelation of Christ dying for sins on the cross and resurrecting from the dead seated at the right hand. I pray, Lord, that would be received. But I especially pray for believers in this room that they would get a fresh revelation of how you're reaching to their heart to draw them to deeper places and to set them free from other loves. I pray this room would be filled with lovers of God. Not some mansy-pansy, oozy goosey. I'm praying for white, hot, burning affection for your glory. Do it with the person that's loud and the person that's quiet the old person the middle the young lord come and set a fire you're the consuming fire move upon us in Jesus name amen Aaron asked me what I was going to preach this last week and I said a classic Father's Day passage out of Hosea, chapter 2. Who's read Hosea lately? Anybody read Hosea? <laughs> That's one of your 12 minor prophets at the end of your Old Testament. And it's an intense book. It's intense. And we're going to get there in just a minute. But let me, let me read you a couple verses and then launch out a little bit. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer, as in the days of her youth, or sing, actually is the word there, as as the time when she came out of Egypt. Verse 16. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals, or idols, from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by my name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens. And the creeping things on the ground, and I'll abolish the bow, and the sword, and the war, and all the junk that's on the land, and you'll lie down in safety, verse 19, and I'll betroth you to me forever. I'll betroth you to me in righteousness, in justice, in steadfast love, and in mercy, 20. I'll betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. The prophet Hosea lifts up by the revelation of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, one of the predominant themes in your Bible. One of the predominant themes in your Bible is that God is not just sending down commands and trying to get us to obey and setting up there, that God is pursuing us and intends to marry his covenant people. Your Bible reveals that our God is a bridegroom God, that he's a bridegroom and he's looking for a bride, that he's pursuing the heart of a people Again, not just satisfied with stones dropped down with commandments upon them. In fact, Romans 5 will say, the law came so sin would increase so that we would know we were helpless and we needed a Savior. At the headwaters of the law, though, we see the Lord's heart. The first one is, you shall have no other gods before me, and you shall make no graven images. I mean, out of the outset, he's going to get down to don't lie, don't murder, don't covet. But at the beginning of the commands is this issue, I want your heart and I don't want to share your heart. I'm after your heart, and I made you to be lovers of God. We see this theme develop all through the Scripture. The prophets spoke of it. It's in the history books. It's in the New Testament. John the Baptist comes forward as the forerunner, and he calls himself a friend of the bridegroom. Mark chapter 2, Jesus will be confronted because his boys aren't fasting enough, and he'll say, how can the, the servants fast when the bridegroom is with them? One day, the bridegroom, talking of himself, will be taken away, and then they will fast. Jesus perceived himself as the bridegroom who would have a bride one day. The apostle Paul will unpack the passages, like Ephesians chapter 5, and say that marriage, I quote it all the time at weddings, that the husband is as Christ, and the wife is as the church, as this prophetic picture. In fact, he'll talk about his passion for the saints in 2 Corinthians 11.2. He'll say, I'm jealous for you, Corinthians. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy that I might present you to one husband, Jesus Christ, as a pure virgin. Paul wasn't just trying to build brick and mortar places where people came and sat once a week and listened to inspirational things and then got out and just lived their life. He was trying to produce the bride of God. It's a powerful thing. And what you need to know is this, the Spirit of God's after you. The Spirit of God's working all around every person in this room to woo you in to the great love of his life, the church. In in Revelation 19, as, as the ages are summing up, there's this declaration, now has come the time for the wedding feast of the Lamb. But we, we, I mean, this, all this book of Revelation, all the stuff that's happening, the crazy stuff, it hurls toward a wedding feast where there is this process of the new Jerusalem coming down and the bride joined with the Lord Jesus. The war that's on planet earth is not a war about money and all that. It's primarily a war of worship. It's a war of worship. That's really what's going on. There's a, there's a raging war on planet earth over the affections of men and women's heart. Listen, the most valuable thing you own is the affections of your heart. What you love is what's up for contention between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. Everything the enemy's doing is not just to kind of mess up your finances or give you a flat tire or just even just to mess up your marriage. He's really just coming after your heart. He's coming after your heart to woo it away because that's what happened to him. In Ezekiel 28, the scriptures are very clear that Lucifer, a good angel, full of light, was leading and doing things in worship. They think he might have been involved in worship in in what he did. But at some point it says he saw his own beauty, he became proud, and then he he led a rebellion against the throne of God. He and a third of the angels were cast down. That's where we get our demons. And that's what caused the funk of the age that we're in right now. It all started with an angel falling in love with himself. He shifted loving God with all of his heart to loving his own beauty. And I imagine he was something else. Resplendent light made as an instrument for the glory of God. But at some point, he walked by that heavenly mirror and he began to shift from focus on God to focus on himself. Do you know who the primary lover for almost every human being is? themselves. We struggle with a love affair with ourselves, and the enemy is constantly trying to seduce us to that. That's what happened with Adam and Eve in the garden. That lying snake came in and said, did God really say you can't eat that tree? They answered, yes, we can't eat it, nor can we even touch it. They get past that. Then he comes in with his tricky stuff and begins to say, listen, you're not going to die, and this is what all of you are hearing in the temptation in your life. You surely won't die by disobeying the Lord. God knows that when you eat of that tree, somebody remember, you'll become like God. That was the core temptation. Why was that such a bait to them? Because at the core of their very heart was being the image of God. God. In Genesis 1:26, it said, and God created them in his image. Adam and Eve wanted more than anything else to be like God. They wanted to be in the image of God. He didn't say, you will be God, you'll be like God. And here's what the devil did, and he's doing to every one of you in this room. Every one of you in this room. This is the core of the temptation that's happening around you. The devil is trying to offer for you a way outside of the love and commands of God for you to be satisfied in your desires that are from God. Everybody with me? God God wanted you to be loved, but he's trying to distort it to where you get love primarily from the applause of man and by your performance instead of by his grace buoyed in him. He made you to be sexual. We're made to be that way. It's not aberrant that we are that way, but he made ways for us to fulfill that inside him and inside his covenant. The devil dangles the carrot and says, you're missing out. You're going to be more fulfilled and more satisfied if you'll step outside of what God has offered you. Anybody ever heard this line, snake? No no original idea, just a counterfeiter. A counterfeiter, a twister to take it, and it's really about this, not to get you to do just bad things. It's to shift the love of your heart. I love it one guy said that pornography is a worship disorder. It's not just a sin about, yes, it's, that, it's more that. It's a worship disorder. It's about what you'll bow down to. It's about what your heart loves on the inside. Because what our heart loves is what we will say and what we will do. God's after your heart. He's coming after your heart strong. He's pressing in. He's pushing in. He's orchestrating circumstances around you. He's bringing people into your life that he might get you. And the devil is warring to steal the affections of your heart. Because once we give our heart away, then there's this chain reaction of darkness and death that happens in our lives. I'm so thankful of how the Lord comes after us, how he pursues us hard. And Hosea is one of those books Hosea shows about how the Lord comes after an unfaithful bride. In fact, it'll start with Hosea's life about 750 BC, is when he prophesies before Jesus. He's speaking to Israel before one of their judgments for the Assyrians. And it says in verse 2 of Hosea 1 When the Lord first spoke to Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom or harlotry by forsaking the Lord. What a a deal. I don't, I was, I'm not sure when the first time was or what the first thing was you heard from the Lord. You ever heard that, remember the first time you heard anything from the Lord? A little whisper, a little call, maybe read your Bible, maybe love somebody, maybe whatever. This is not Hosea's experience. Hosea's experience is the whole land is in prostitution. I want you to do this. I need you to go marry a prostitute. Because I'm not going to say the word through you. I'm going to make you the word. Which is what he does with all of us, by the way. You don't just say the word, We make, he makes us the word. And so he sends Hosea, and Hosea goes down to wherever he went and finds Gomer, a prostitute, draws her in, marries her as a sign before the Lord, and to the people, I'm coming after the prostitute, I'm coming after the dirty, I'm coming after the unworthy, I'm coming after and loving them. They have children that are named interesting names, like the Lord has forsaken you, not my people, that's the name of the kids. Their names get changed later, which is wonderful. But the Lord's making these signs. He's, here's Hosea, the prophet, priest, clean guy. Can you imagine that's your first word? Go marry a prophet. He marries her, draws her in, have the babies, and walks out this word of the Lord in his life. This word is the word to us. Because here's the deal. God's never come after anybody that's clean because there is no one clean. There's nobody clean in here. All guilty. Anybody that's sinned since you got saved, say, oh my. my. Anyone that's been persuaded or been tempted by the devil to love other stuff other than the Lord, say, "Oh oh my. So I'm in the right room. A war of worship in your heart, and the great gold that's in this room is the affections of your heart. This is what God values the most, and there's a war over that thing. And here's what's happened, is you and I in that war have stumbled Our eye has wondered. Our heart has gone this way. We've embraced anxiety, fear, despair, shame. We've embraced all those things. And the devil keeps coming in, kicking us and kicking us, trying to get us to believe that we're unqualified to receive the free grace of God. It's a lie. It's a lie. The accuser of the brethren is regularly trying to build a conviction in your heart that God does not love you. He started with Adam and Eve, he's starting now, and he brings the evidence of our failures and other people's failures around us to convince us that we should not receive the love of God. And it puts a block right there where we cannot receive it. And listen, you don't get free from the love of the approval of man unless you receive the love of God. You don't get free from the love of money till God loves you first. We love because he first loved us. Get wrecked, by the love of God, him being the first action and then you'll change. I didn't change because I decided at 10 all my life of sin at that point. I I didn't just change because I was like righteous and awesome and look at me, God, you deserve me. You know? That didn't happen. He came after dirty me and he rescued me because God loves sinners. And he loves saints who struggle with sin. My sermon today is not to empower you to sin more. My sermon today is to listen to this. God's love and grace is more powerful than sin in your life. And you're not going to get over sin. Listen, everybody. You're not going to get over sin by crunching your hands tighter and trying harder and letting motivational speaker try to take us to the heights. You're only going to get over sin when God convinces you by an experience of love in your heart that you love something more than that dirty stuff. And God's ready to convince you. He's ready to come after you and to get you. And this is what this passage was that we launched off of. It says in the middle of all their dirtiness, it goes on in one and two and talks about, I made the wood you're worshiping. This is insanity. I made the cloth that you're using to worship. The, this is craziness. You guys keep harloting yourselves out. But I want to tell you this in verse 14. Therefore, here's what I'll do. Behold, I will lure her and bring her into the wilderness. And I'll speak tenderly to her. And there I'll give her her vineyards, and I'll make, listen, the valley of Achor into a door of hope. And there she shall sing as in the days of her youth and at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. What the Lord is saying is this like, like Hosea did with Gomer, he's coming after his people. He's coming after people. And what he said, I'll do, in the middle of her dirtiness, I'm going to allure you, entice you, woo you out into a place called paradise. Did it say paradise? Oh no, it said what? Wilderness. The other word for that in the Hebrew could be desert. It means the dry, hard place. Jesus was drawn there where there's temptation. The hard place. I'll draw, I'm gonna woo her into the hard place. And in that hard place, I'm going to begin to speak tenderly to her, and I think what's inferred is she's going to begin to start to hear me. Here's the deal. Last night I was telling, we we had trouble over our Saturday night service on the east side. Couldn't get the the thing to work, the, what do you call that, right? I don't even know what you call it. Yeah, the projector. Couldn't get the sound to go right. We were just stumbling our way through it. I got up and said, here's the great thing about weakness. It makes you trust in the Lord alone. I've hated weakness all my life. I hate the pain, I hate the rejection, I hate all that. But here's the deal. Pain has actually been the crucible, the, the incubator within which hatched some of the best moments in my life. When I reach the end of myself, then I begin to trust in the Lord Himself. So, what he's saying is, I'm going to woo her into this wilderness, and I'll begin to give her her vineyards. I'll produce a fruitful place there. He says even further, I'll make the valley of Achor. You remember what that was? A door of hope. The valley of Acor is where Achan, you remember that guy's name? Jericho, Joshua goes in, boom, march around the city, pretty cool, walls come down, destroy everything. Achan gets greedy because of a love problem, a love disorder in his heart, and he takes a Babylonian garment, a bunch of silver, and a wedge of gold, and hides it away in his stuff. God said, don't do that. They go to the next war in Ai, they lose. Joshua's, Lord, what's the deal? You've forsaken us. You're gone. He said, I didn't forsake you. Get rid of what's detestable among you. They search through the clans. They find that Achan had stolen the stuff. They bring Achan they bring his family, they bring his clan, and they stone them in the valley of Achor. It means the valley of trouble. And this trouble, we all go through trouble. This trouble was caused by his own sin. I think we think that God will get us through something if it's somebody else that caused the trouble. But if I cause the trouble, God won't get me out. You need to not believe that. God will deliver you from any trouble. He will take your valley of Acor in the heart of trouble and consequences and make it a door of hope. We got a guy on our team named John Smith. John um, started uh, smoking weed at eleven, twelve. starts selling it around thirteen, fourteen. starts doing meth around fifteen, sixteen. figures out he can make a bunch of money doing that, starts mixing meth, selling it. He's robbing everything. I mean, just robbing cars and stealing cars, stealing all this kind of stuff. I mean, he's in a bad, he grew up in South Wichita down here, just on a, on a death path. Terrible. We run into people now, he's around us, that they're like, hey, you robbed me. You remember that? You know? Kind of a weird deal to find in a prayer meeting, you know, or he's (laughs) preaching somewhere. Anyway, John gets um, in a bad meth deal out in Parsons, Kansas, seven, eight years ago, murders a guy, murders him, buries his body, buries it, buries it, thinks he's got away with it. Nine months later, some dude that was there when this thing went down was bragging, was on some high and was bragging to somebody about it. They went and told the sheriff, the sheriff come and get John. John's 21 and his life is over. His life is over. He's in the county jail, the city jail over at Parsons. He's in there, and he's thinking this. I'm going to kill myself. My life is over. They caught me in murder. I'm as guilty as can be. They can prove it. He's figuring out how to tie the sheet and get it somewhere where he can hang himself. I mean, he's in a valley of acor. He's in despair, and he's in trouble. He says as he's sitting in there, um, they brought him lunch, and he's sitting in there, and he's trying to figure out they make it hard to kill yourself in the cells. And he's trying to figure out how to do this. He looks over in the corner of the cell, and he sees a TV. And the TV's crooked. And he says, I don't know, but for the life of me, I had to know why that TV was crooked. So he walks over to find out what it is, stops his suicidal mission, goes over. And you know what was under one side of that TV? A Bible. Those prison Bible guys. Went in and grabbed The Bible. Looked at it. On the front of it, it had chains breaking like an arm. That was the image on it. Opens the first cover of it. It's not Genesis 1. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the plan of salvation. He reads it, prays to Jesus, falls to his knees, and he becomes a new creation right there in that place. (laughs) The Valley of Achor became a door of hope at the worst moment ever. He's looking at life in prison forever. He found a door. He said, I was joyful. For the first time, I began to live. I began to live. That thing got reduced to second-degree murder. He spent six and a half years in prison where he leads multiple people to Jesus, disciples, prisoners, and one of our guys began to engage with him, a homeschool pretty boy, went into jail, and with this meth murderer began to disciple him. He gets out. He's on our Disciple Nations team leading people to Jesus in Eureka, Kansas. That's pretty good. I wonder what your Valley of acor is. I wonder what your Valley of acor is. In those desperate ones, God reaches in. God loves to take the worst of the worst and made them the best of the best, to preach the message based on His grace. And here's what I came to tell you this morning, is the Holy Spirit is coming after your heart. And you need to have interpretation. It's not thundering around you, it's your Father wooing you. Your trouble is not thunder you need to get away or a storm you got to be protected from. I'm telling you, the Father's coming after you. Your hard circumstance is actually a platform upon which God can do a miracle in your life. It was hard to get to you when you didn't think you needed anything. But when you got pressed in and hemmed in and he drew you to the wilderness to give you fruit, when he began in the valley of Acor to open up a door of hope, then you begin to transform. Praise God that he loves us. Amen? There's not one person in this room that the hound of heaven is not coming after. This was a poem back in the mid-20th century. The hound of heaven chases me. It chases me. He's after me. I feel his breath. He's coming after This guy I wrote this poem about how the Lord's coming after them, And I need you to know that the Lord's coming after you. He's not messed up by your private moments in darkness that you think nobody knows. He knows. And you know what he thinks about it? He hates your sin so much, he would put his son in a body and put him on a cross and already paid for that sin. He's not freaked out by it. He already paid for it, and he's wanting you to receive the forgiveness and move into his love and his grace. And here's the deal. We've got to be done with shame. We're going to sing this song, How He Loves Us. I don't know how you get through, again, addiction to the love of man, fear of the future, anxiety if you're not enough. I don't know how you do any of that except by receiving the love of God. You... I know you're trying to love him more, but listen, I'm encouraging you to stop trying to do that so hard and start receiving his love, because you will respond. You're the bride in the relationship, and he's the husband, and he's coming after you. He's coming after you. He loves you. You do not have time to maintain these regrets. We're going to sing that line. You do not have time to maintain these regrets when you swim in the glory of his love. Let's all stand. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We praise you that you're seeking after us and that you're not, you're a, you made atonement for our sins. You're not scared of them. You're not running away from us dirty. You come after us. I pray everybody in this room in the altar of the moment right now, right where they stand, would you swing wide the doors of their hearts and sweep in with a fresh, fiery wind of the love of God. I pray you transform us from the inside out, and you'd scrape shame off our lives. You'd shut our ear to the accuser of the the brethren. Come and transform us with a powerful experience of your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Ephesians chapter 3 Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit prays, verse 19, 19, 20 that we'd have power together as a family to know how wide, long, high and deep is the love of God that we would know a love that's beyond knowing that we might be filled with the fullness of God I want to pray that prayer And I want to pray that prayer with this, asking you this. I'm asking you all as disciples, I'm giving you an assignment. Will you please take time this week to sit down, yes, love God, but let him love you. Sit down and be still, and I dare you to say, I open my heart, what do you feel about me? What do you think about me? And let him love on you, and then you respond as you respond. It'll be good. Father God, I thank you in the name of Jesus your presence and power in this room, and I agree with the apostolic prayer, would you give us power together by the Spirit to know how wide and long and high and deep and never-ending is the love of Christ, that we would know a love that's beyond human knowing, that it would transform us on the inside, and we would move into the fullness of God. I pray for those that are sitting under baskets of shame, would you help cast that thing off? And when we let ourselves be loved by the great lover in the universe, Lord, we pray for your power to break in. We pray for the lost to be saved, for the prodigal to return in this room, and for the believer, the older son who's working away religiously, let him know that he's got a father that'll throw a party for him. Lord, break in and change our lives with a revelation of your powerful love in Jesus' name.